Welcome back to Maine Education Matters, the podcast that looks at all things education related in the state of Maine, particularly focused on the upcoming policies and legislation that's happening out of Augusta, Education Cultural Affairs Committee, and the legislature and Senate. My name is Matt Dureckhardt. I'm your stalwart, steadfast host through these dark times. And, oh, my friends, my faithful 17 listeners, these times are dark. The sun has been obscured by clouds. A sharp wind cuts through all the layers of what you are wearing while you are both inside and outside. A dark sense of menace seems to just fill every crevice and corner of these lands as the 131st legislature has come back into session. And with that has come the bills. And with the bills comes the intention of what is going to be on the docket for our Education Cultural Affairs Committee to be hearing in terms of public hearings, work sessions, and what's going to be coming down the line for us in the field in the realm of Maine education. So today's podcast is going to be basically a buckle up episode because this is what's coming. I'm not going to go through every single uh, title of the bills that have been uh, approved but I'm going to go through some of them and so we can get a sense of not only what is going to be heard, not only what are going to be some of the points and some of the major directions that this that the education cultural affairs is going to be facing, but also what what are the what's the what's the politics involved here and what's also really like going to happen, what's likely to happen, what's not likely to happen. As of this recording, the Education Cultural Affairs Committee has had their first meeting, an orientation type meeting with their policy and legal analysts and with the Maine Department of Education, just to kind of get an idea of what's all going forward, what's happening. And at the end of this podcast, I'm going to let you know about some upcoming actually scheduled public hearings that are already planned out and that have bills attached to them. The bills are coming out and they are, they're getting their language and they're being put out and very recently, finally the list of all the bills was published and you can find that on the revisers, um, the revisers page. I believe I, I know, uh, so the Reviser of Statutes page, you go to legislature.maine.gov slash ROS and you'll see a link that says 131st Legislature List of Requests. If you also go to our spreadsheet that's pinned to our social media profiles, you will see a whole list of just the education bills. I only did the education bills. We're not, I, I, I'm not going to do, I did not look through all of the other committee bills. And the reason for that is because in education alone, and the, uh, under the education umbrella, I count 193 bills that are going to be going before the cultural, Education Cultural Affairs Committee this session. That's a lot. Now, a lot, of, a lot of those are cultural affairs. And for those of you longtime listeners, 
you would know this, but for you new listeners, we don't do culture here. We don't follow the culture. We're we're not not opposed to culture. We're indifferent. Uh, we're focused on education, unless it has to do with, uh, well, there's a there's a bill out there that has to do with requiring horse-drawn carriages to have uh, manure bags. And I think that that's one that's just really essential for us in the education field to be monitoring as well. Because I don't have a good reason. Um, so what we're going to do, so there are some bills that are being performed, but what we're going to do, so what I'm going to do is just go through just a few, uh, a, a light dusting of some of them so you can get a sense of what's coming down the pike. Uh, what's coming down and what to expect. And first of all, one of the bigger areas that's always done in this in these, these sessions is there's a lot of stuff about budgets, a lot of stuff about finance. And the last few, few sessions, there's been several bills that have been trying to, you know, promote free college, community college access, et cetera. And there are at least two bills right now that are about that, expanding free community college just to the class of 2024 or to provide free tuition at main community colleges. So that's going to be a probably a bigger conversation. Also what winds up happening with a lot of these bills is the way that like the, the bill titles get to be just thrown and they, they get approved through cloture. And then sometimes a lot of the legislators, late legislators will put in a bill title and another legislator will put in the same or similar bill title. So what the policy analysts and whatnot will do and the, and the leadership in the Education Cultural Affairs Committee, et cetera, they'll try to see those and they'll lump them together and possibly work with those legislators and whatnot to combine those uh, bill titles and those LRs, as they're called, uh, into one bill in the end, just to, you know, to save time. Uh, so there's a couple that have to do with free community college or free tuition. There, is, there are a couple of bills that have to do with increasing teacher salaries and increasing the minimum of teacher salaries. These, these, all, these are things that always come up. And as we know, what will happen there is anything to do with finances, they're going to, whether it goes through the committee or not, it's going to go to appropriations. And then they'll figure out to what extent, what does it, will it, can it fit into the overall approved budget, and it will either live or die there. You'll also we're also going to see some a general theme of overall things like powers and things that the not only the, assist, the school systems can do but school board members can do. So, for example, there is um, an act to promote interdisciplinary, project-based, and accelerated learning curriculum through a grant program established by the Maine Department of, Educa Department of Education. Great. Do I establish a grant program, an act concerning students who experience educational disruption due to temporary or permanent changes in where they live? So it's a way for the districts to have more control, or create a, an act to create a green schools coordinator at the Department of Education. So the ability to you know, so change the DOE a little bit around. But then it comes to what, what also can districts do. And then there's this one an act to allow town, I find this very interesting, an act to allow towns with school choice to opt out of school choice. I had to read that one a couple of times because one, I'm not that bright, and two, 
I was I was floored by it. An act to allow towns with school choice to opt out of school choice, to to allow them to say like, no, we're not we don't want to do school choice anymore. We just want to have the one school. We don't want to have this conversation anymore. Very interesting stuff. An act to require all school administrative units to operate under a code of ethics with disciplinary procedures and a removal process for board members. This is, there's a few board, uh, bills that are like this about having to do with keeping board members in check. And not only just it, during, while they're a board member, but also before, like an act to implement background checks for school board members. Well, it, it, if we don't need background checks for, you know, legislators or senators, or if we could just, you know, falsify our resume and get into Congress, you know, whatever, an act to provide meaningful participation at local school board meetings. I don't know what that means. Provide meaningful public participation. Because if the public... So does that mean that we're not allowing it for it? Or And again, the, the language isn't necessarily there yet. An act to create nonpartisan training for school board members. Hey, I, I would love to see some real consistent training for school board members and to make sure that they understand that their responsibility, as they swear an oath to, when they when they, they get sworn in as a board member, to up protect and uphold and defend the Constitution of Maine, Maine laws in the Constitution of the United States. Great, let's make sure that they remember that they have to follow the laws, not their own political ideologies. And an act to establish a recall process for municipal school committee members. Now, that's not going to be for no, for most of the school committee's members or school board members across the state because they're not municipal. But a recall process, which, again, so there's there's been some real last few years for boards have been very challenging so some of the legislators some of the public like we want to make sure that we have more of a say over our board especially if it's a two or three year uh, if it's a three year commitment a three year term for a board member and what if we don't like them can we get them out can we vote can we can we remove them can we do something like that so or is there a way that if you know, can we prevent them from getting in aside from just uh, not just being voted in? As I said before, uh, the budgets and finance is always a big deal in terms of the legislative sessions. So there's been a few bills that have to do with the budgets and essential programs and services. So, for example, coming forward, an act to give the governing board of a municipality input into the budget developed by a school board. Now, most places that I know of when a school budget is created involves the town and municipal. So, you know, I don't understand why some of these bills are written, but then again, I also know that they're, they're done for a reason. Someone did something somewhere, so there's a reason why you know, some municipality felt like they got shafted or got left out of the process, and so now there's a bill to say, here, we're going to do it. An act to simplify the school budget validation process and an act to improve efficiency by holding school budget referenda on the same day as primary elections. 
This is fascinating to me. Because the school budget validation process, as a lot of you probably know, requires, in most cases, in most cases requires both the, the vote at a town meeting to approve the budget, and then it goes to the referendum. And the referendums happen in June, so that they can, schools can then enact the, the fiscal year, which begins on July 1st. That's all, of course, presuming that the state budget has been signed, approved, by the time that we can then implement the budgets. Um, and for those of you who've ever done a school budget, you know we are often, schools are often just kind of guessing at what the budget numbers are gonna be because those, the, the state budget is never completed by the time that you know, we're already putting our budgets into place. I mean, it's January as I'm recording this. Schools and districts are in budget season. They're in the budget process creating it right now to make sure that they can get the validation done for the next fiscal year. And we know that the Congress hasn't even begun their, pro their budget process or they've, or they've barely just scratched the surface of it, whether or not they'll get to it in time to support the actual education systems, who knows. But an act to improve efficiency by holding the school budget referenda on the same day as primary elections. So I think that the, that's to bring more people out to get more participation in the, in the votes, which is great. And, but, but, and to what extent will that throw a wrench into the budget process? And this is why public hearings are so important because this is when this stuff will be thrown out to the Education Cultural Affairs Committee. Be like, hey, great idea. However, the way that the system is kind of set up is in this way, and by doing it, this it's going to the ripple effect could be more than you're looking for. An act to require visibility within school budgets and curricula. I don't understand. Like, require to require visibility. What does that mean? Because, and I would love to hear more about that. Uh, essential programs and services, an act to amend the EPS funding formula to include all costs for transportation for students and an act to increase student access to arts and music education. So we're in, in, in yeah, okay, increasing our access to arts and music and including costs for all costs for transportation. Transportation is a huge cost to a local budget. And I know all districts are always trying to have a, you know, zero gain budget they're always trying to just to do that 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 minimum level not trying to rate only only raising because of cost of living and costs of salaries and the normal costs of of things we're not you know no district is trying to go out there and say we're we're, we're spending more money than we need to so but we but costs are increasing and have been increasing and to support the districts, especially in, in areas too, like that are not necessarily considered quote core curriculum, like arts and music, which if you know me at all, believe that the arts and music should, should actually be more at the core. Um, to give them more support, which I'm all in favor of. This next bill I'm going to issue an award for the longest title of the ones that I've seen in education so far. So buckle in. Here we go. 
An act to require the Department of Education to conduct a study on the equity of the state education subsidy formula used to determine, to determine the size of the state subsidy for municipalities and the way the state subsidy funds capital projects. That's a lot. But an act to require DOE to study how projects are funded. Great. Awesome. It then, we're then going to get into a little bit of like more of the school stuff and more of the actual education things that kind of happen um, away from more of the budget things. There's a couple of uh, bills that, were, that are looking at changing the rules regarding athletic director qualifications. There's a bill out there, an act to require outdoor recess time for students from grades, for students from grades six to eight, which I'm all in favor of. However, I don't see that bill going anywhere. And I don't see that bill going anywhere because, again, we work in a locally controlled state. And the, the idea is great, but the ripple effect would be significant. Um, and what kind of impact would that necessarily have on schools, un both intended and unintended? Because uh, for those of you who work in schools, you know scheduling is one of the biggest nightmares and actually causes more resistance to, to systemic and structural change than a lot of things. It's the scheduling of things. So requiring outdoor recess, awesome. Love it. I'm not so sure where this is going to go. I, I, if, it, if it goes through, I think that's amazing. I, this, what a lot of times happens with a lot of these bills too is they'll go from being an act to, to do this then they'll change it along the way. Well, let's study this. Let's let's get a report. Let's get a research report. Let's have the DOE pr present a report to us on this topic and the extent to which this would actually work. You know, maybe they'll study the fact how, how many how many schools out there actually already do this. And if there if the if the amount is overwhelming, then to what extent do we need an act to do this or Maybe the act is just then catching up with the times that are already existing. Um, healthcare is another important area of this particular session. First of all, uh, this came up in the last session, and I believe it will continue to come up until it is um, until it's approved, until it goes forward, but. Two bills, an act to make menstrual products available in certain schools or an act to require certain schools to provide menstrual products. This is a this is a healthcare issue and these products are expensive and a lot of folks and people can't necessarily afford them and have them ha have easy access to them. And so, you know, let's have our schools give our, our students the healthcare that they need. I'm on board. I also wanted to let everyone here know that over the years, as we've been doing this podcast, there's been a topic that has come up from time to time that we have enjoyed discussing. And we've enjoyed discussing it because the overall ridiculousness of the way in which the topic was presented or or the way in which 
the public testimony was prepared and showed was just truly fascinating. There are a few topics that we found over the years that really cause people to come out and circle the wagons and you'll see a lot of stuff for one of the one of them are going to is charter schools magnet schools etc you'll when when bills like that come up and there are some of them that come up this session as there always are there will always be a ton of testimony on those issues over the last few years there's been a rather a political conversation and a lot of, I guess, controversy? Although I, I don't understand, I don't really get ugh, about immunizations and vaccines. And yes, they're back on the docket, both in the Education uh, and Cultural Affairs Committee and the Health and Human Services Committee. So there are two bills in the education realm that are being forwarded an act to prohibit COVID-19 vaccine mandates for students enrolled in public institutions of learning and an act to promote education access by restricting the compulsion of unapproved vaccines. Um, I, I don't know. Like, there's no vac There's no COVID-19 vaccine mandate for students currently. I don't know if there will be. I don't know if it's going to be added into the list of required vaccines. It might be. But, you know, science and things, um, which gets into the next slew. There are four bills that have been approved. They're all going to be lumped into one by the end because they all basically say the same thing an act to restore religious and philosophical exemptions to immunization requirements. If you remember a couple of years ago, it's not only gone through approval through the state bill process, but it's also gone through referendum to remove the religious and philosophical vaccine exemptions. So you can have a philosophical objection to certain vaccines However, that doesn't matter if you want to go to a public school. What? Because we have to think about the health and well-being of those kids in the schools who are immunocompromised. And not everyone who needs a vaccine can get a vaccine. And so in terms of public health and thinking about a school as a community, everyone does their part. And that's part of what this is, is to protect the health and well-being of everyone, including those who can't be physically or immunocompromised or have other reasons why they can't actually physically, medically have the vaccinations. A religious or a philosophical exemption is not a scientific or medical one. It's a, based on a belief structure. So, great. I'm glad you have a belief structure. That's not based in science. And it's not based in the community of what what the community needs are. So I appreciate the opinion. Um, as a and you know, as a as a as a lover of philosophical thinking and ideology, 
I think it's crucially important to have those conversations. And I don't see those advancing far within the Education and Cultural Affairs Committee or the main legislature simply because, well, mostly because of the way that the, that the, the legislature is played out politically. These are very political, very partisan, very, very partisan bills that are being pushed forward in this way. And that the ones who are pushing these to restore religious exemptions and philosophical exemptions are on the minority side. So I don't really, and, and there's, there's not a whole lot in the majority that will go for that. So I don't really see that happening. And speaking of that, I don't see a lot of the this next slew of bills to take place. There are several bills that have to do with safety and security. And there are several bills that have to do with to allowing certain school employees to carry firearms on school property to allow SAUs to establish rules, procedures, and guidelines for properly trained staff to carry a concealed handgun on school property while acting in their official capacities, an act to increase and enhance school safety by allowing individuals with concealed carry permits to possess handguns on school property. Now, I, I, I don't see these going anywhere. I don't see these happening and going just simply because of the, of the of the political breakdown. These are these are very these are very partisan bills that are being pushed forward. I don't see them going anywhere. They're doing a great work for their communities because apparently these 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 representatives believe that their communities are this is what they want, and so they're trying to be representative of their community ideologies. However, the way that the legislators played out, I don't see these going forward. An act to provide later starting time for high schools. Heck yeah. Awesome. All the science is in support of that. All the science and evidence is in support of those ideas of later starting time for high schools. And I'm on board. And I think that that will also die simply because, it's again, locally controlled state. There's no reason why schools can't do that right now. The only reason why I've ever heard why they don't do it is... Transportation related to sports. There might be more reasons than that, but when, it, when you break it all down, it comes down to sports. And so, why don't we do later starting time for high schools because of sport, because of sports and after school pro, uh, after school activities, etc. Yep. So, those are local decisions. There are no, there's no reason why high schools can't change that on their own. Why local districts can't change that? It's not necessarily needed for a, a overall bill, but I appreciate, just like I appreciate the others, the other bills, uh, the pushing forward of an, an ideology, an idea that is not only along with their maybe their constituency, but also in terms of you know best practices. Finally, for the bills that are being pushed forward, that are that are we know are coming, there's a number that have to do with curriculum instruction, graduation requirements. A lot have to do with transparency. An act to provide transparency in public school curricula, 
Curriculum Transparency Act. You know, so there, there's there's a lot of like that idea. There's also which which kind of goes along with some of the other bills, like an act to eliminate critical race theory, social emotional learning, and diversity, equity, and inclusion from school curricula. I mean, why would we want to talk about diversity and inclusion? Why would I? Ugh. I'm. I just it it again. This is it. All comes. It seems to be coming from a particular partisan ideology. Don't see it going anywhere. Things like that. Uh, an act to require public schools to allow parents and guardians to opt out, out their children with respect to portions of the curriculum. Great. I don't want my kid learning algebra. There you go. Don't want it. I find algebra controversial. Yep. Nope. I. I think that uh, that writing, I don't think it's necessary. I find that to be offensive. So I want to opt my kid out. It's a slippery slope to go down that one. An act to require students to demonstrate knowledge of the Constitution of Maine and the United States Constitution. Yeah, that's already there. Um, but I am interested in things like, like this. An act to update the sex education and consent curriculum. That sounds like I, I'm very interested to find out what what that actually means, and because, well, for one, according to the main constitution, as we're like I said, we're a locally controlled state. The districts, local districts, create curriculum. The state can list out standards, but the way that those standards are implemented, the curriculum that they use, the pathways that they use, is up to the local districts and schools. So what sex education and consent curriculum is being talked about? Are you talking about the standards? And if you're talking about the standards, then there's a there's a process for that. And that's kind of where I think the DOE will come in. Yep, there's a process for that. And health standards, sex education standards came up not too long ago. They'll come up again in the five-year cycle, etc. An act to promote experiential agriculture education in schools. Sure. Love it. Let's promote it. Experiential agriculture. Don't know what that is, but hey, anything to get kids involved and engaged. An act to fund the integration of African-American studies in the history of genocide into the statewide system of learning results. This is a crucial component. This is a, this is a really important one that I'm just, I'm fascinated by. And I really want, I think that every district uh, and curriculum leader out there needs to really pay attention to. Because several years ago, African-American studies in the history of genocide religious persecution, etc., was a bill that was not only was signed into law into Maine into Maine law. It rolls into effect this coming September, September twenty twenty three. So the standard the teaching the integration of African American studies, history of genocide, religious persecution, etc., those are going to have to be included into our existing curriculum starting this September. This was a bill that was signed into law and was pushed for pushed away for a couple of years so that districts can prepare and get ready for it. This act is funding the integration of this. When this bill comes into law, let's actually fund it, which I'm like, oh my gosh, they're actually willing to fund a mandate? Incredible. Let Yes, please, help us do this. We want to. We want to be consistent with the law. We want to be compliant with law. So let us be. Help us to be that. And 
this is an opportunity to do that. Love it. Awesome. What else is there? An act to strengthen the teaching of Wabanaki studies in main schools. Many of you may have seen, there was a report out from this last year. There was um, some studies that were done from the main ACLU and other organizations about the extent to which Wabanaki studies and Maine Native American studies and indigenous studies have been really been done in the state. And the answer was not well. So how can we make it better? And I think that this is an area that a lot of curriculum leaders and superintendents and principals and teachers want to do and want to get better at it. They just don't know how, or they don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. And so helping them strengthening the teaching of this, I think is actually really, really, really helpful. Um, there's a couple of like direct, a resolve to directing the Department of Education to adopt rules prohibiting teachers in public schools from engaging in political, ideological, and religious advocacy in the classroom. Okay, that comes up every every time too. There's a couple that have to do with expanding CTE to the middle school, career technical education opportunities down to the middle school, and. That seems to be a big push for a lot of different places to expand and allow more access of current technical education experiences to happen at the middle level, not just, you know, middle of high school, but to actually allow it to happen for more students. As we know, more pathways, et cetera, are better for kids and allowing them opportunities to explore and, you know, discover a passion of something that they may never have known was possibly there. That That's what our schools should be about. It's It should be about, you know, helping our students not only learn the basics and fundamentals, but helping them learn and understand how to unleash a passion, how to have a dream and then realize that dream. You know, back in the 80s and 90s, it was a thing where, hey, in order to be successful, you got to get a high school diploma, then go to college. That's how you ensure success. The world isn't that way anymore. And it's a lot smaller in that way, but that also means that it's also more competitive. As the result of that competition... I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. I've, I've said for years, if you wanted to make a living sitting at home on your couch eating nachos, you can do that. You just got to figure out how, and you have to compete with other people who have that same dream. But that dream is attainable, is accessible. You can do it. I don't know how. I'm not going to pretend to know how because I'm, 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 I'm living my dream. Um, So how can we as school systems find more ways to help students discover and unleash their passions? So there's a lot of that has to do with curriculum transparency, student rights, and an act to require elementary school instruction to include mental health care techniques to help students understand their sense of self-worth, which goes, of course, directly in opposition to that one that's eliminating social emotional learning. So I, I, will, I hope that those two are on the same day because that would be really fun. Like, hey, we need to do this, and no, we don't. 
there are also a couple of graduation requirements, um, an act to add health and physical education requirements to high school diploma standards, which I'm pretty sure they're already there, and an act to provide career technical education students high school graduation integrated core credit for work completed in career and technical centers and regions. This is going to be, if you want to see the future of education and the future of where things are going, this is one of the major areas to pay attention to. The connection between CTE students and their, what they're doing in their programs, and then alignment to and connection to high school graduation requirements. So, if I were to be so bold as to say a student in um, electrical engineering classes in a CTE program who's doing a significant amount of informational text-based reading and writing and presentation and ma is making sure that that presentation is linguistically valid, etc., and is actually meeting the standards of our English language arts. They should be able to get English language arts, dare I say, credit for it. If they're meeting those standards in one place, why can it not be meeting the standards in other? Why, why, if they're meeting the standards, they're meeting the standards. And that's what this is about. It's about recognizing, one, that standards can be met, the, the quote-unquote traditional academic standards can be met in other places other than a traditional high school curriculum, and that those, that those requirements that can be met should be recognized. And this is a huge step. And a lot of, there, there are places around the state that are doing this, but it's few and far between, but it's building. And, you know, if a person shows mastery in one area, competency in one area, proficiency in one area, well, they've done it. They've shown it. Why does there need to be gatekeeping because of a traditional mindset? So that's going to be an area that I think there's a, there's, a, there's a bill like that's put forward, and I think that one in particular is one of the ones that I, as a curriculum leader and someone who's passionate about this stuff, am really interested the most in uh, as it comes down to it. So that's just, a, that's just a dusting, a general dusting of some of the bills that are coming forward. But I'll say this much. There are two days of public hearings that are already being scheduled. And I will do a fuller deep dive into this in our next podcast of these two public hearings. January 31st, there will be three bills that are going to be heard. LD 98, an act to update the special education laws presented by Representative Michael uh, Brennan out of Portland. LD 142, an act to fund climate-related service work presented by Representative Morgan Riley of Westbrook. And LD 143, an act to support rural service programming to promote and promote volunteerism, again, by Representative Morgan Riley of Westbrook. Three bills on the 31st. 
updating special education laws, funding climate-related service work, and supporting rural service programming and promoting volunteerism. Great. Let's let's. Uh, February second it was the second public hearing that's on the on the books right now. LD fifteen, an act to amend the law governing the state program administered by the Maine Historic Preservation Commission. I will not be following that bill. I'm just letting you know that right now. That's got cultural affairs stuff. LD-19, an act to authorize the National Institute of Funeral Service to grant associate degrees. And LD-129, a resolve to direct the University of Maine system to study the feasibility of establishing a public allopathic medical school in Penobscot County. So some broad stuff and also very specific stuff, detailed stuff happening the first couple of days of those bills. I will dive more into each of those bills in our next podcast and share with you how you can not only participate, provide testimony, not only written testimony ahead of time, but also live testimony as they have, as, as ways to provide testimony are still going to be accessible. And if you wanted to just listen to the hearing, how you can go about doing that. A couple of bills. So a lot happening. Buckle up. 193 total titles as I count for this particular session it's going to be an interesting one there's a lot of interesting stuff coming so if you want to follow along with the bills and the bill trajectory and those things that are being written and have easy access links to just the education bills you can either the best way to do it is to go to our spreadsheet which is linked in on our social media pages on Twitter, which is main at main ed matters, or on Facebook.com, which is or Facebook, which is Facebook.com slash main education matters. You can find links to the spreadsheet there. It gives not only the committee that it's in, the LD number, the title, the sponsor, the type of bill that it is, and it follows it all throughout its process. The spreadsheet workbook too also has a list of all of the bill titles that are there, some stats of what's happening in the in the ed committee or the bills that we are following. Um, and links to all of our legislators and policy analysts. So you can follow us there. If you want to just follow and connect with me individually, uh, you can follow me, Matt. You can follow me on, online at Twitter, which I use sometimes, um, not all the time. I've kind of backed away from that a little bit. It's at DrewetCard. You can find me there. And otherwise, to our faithful 17 listeners, thank you so very much for listening as always. I love you. I appreciate you, and let's enjoy the ride. Thanks.